0: Hello, hola, ciao, guten tag, and hello, amigos. My name is Kevin Brown, and I'm your host on the Tom Petty Project podcast, the podcast that spends time with each Tom Petty song in order, from the first album to the last, and then lots more in between, around and after. I hope everyone is doing well out there and staying safe and sane. One very small ray of sunshine that's come out of the pandemic for me is that a lot more people have started podcasting, And while it can be daunting to choose what to listen to, I find that as a format, it's a great way to connect with other human beings who share your interests. As you're listening to this right now, I hope you get the same thing from my podcast. In today's episode, we're talking about the last song on Side A of the self-titled debut Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers album, Anything That's Rock and Roll. In the episode description, there is a link to the song for you to go and listen to, so I'll sit here and wait until you get back. Well... Well, not really, but it would be rude for me to continue without you. So pause this first, go listen, and then come back. Got it? See you momentarily. Rock and Roll has a long history of self-referential material, from Chuck Berry's classic Rock and Roll Music, covered in 1964 by the Beatles, through The Stones' It's Only Rock and Roll, released ten years later, then Twisted Sisters' Arm want a Rock ten years after that in 1984, and the list goes on. Mike Campbell said that he saw Kiss in their early days and realised if you put the words Rock and Roll into a song, it usually worked. Tom said that he was afraid that the term was dying out at the time, and he used it in a couple of songs in the early days just to keep it going. In Paul Zolo's conversations with Tom Petty, he says, It was like a Chuck Berry kind of thing, just a good rocking song. Anything That's Rock and Roll was never released as a single in the US, but was the song that broke the band in England and was climbing the charts as the band toured in support of Nils Lofgren. Eventually, it peaked at number 36 in the charts and led to an appearance on Top of the Pops on June 16th, 1977. For the North Americans listening, Top of the Pops is an old British TV chart show where the top 40 was counted down and three or four bands were brought in to play, in quotes, for an assembly of overstimulated teenagers hopped up on sugary drinks. A lot of bands hated the format and would rather have played live, and the format threw up some fairly interesting stunts by bands who found the concept as idiotic as it actually was. The song was also the opener on their appearance on The Old Grey Whistle Test on June 20th, 1978, another British institution where acts are very much playing live. It was very rarely played live though after 1982, with the last performance I can find being on October 11th, 1987 in Birmingham, England. I guess once your seven albums in, and have a much bigger range of songs to pick from, it's easy to see how this was one of the ones that was retired from the live set. The last song on side A, it's a pretty straight up rock and roll strut, with an arrow straight bass line. Nothing complicated, but Ron does throw a couple of slides in there between the B, E and F-sharp, and he also adds in a fun little E, D flat, B progression in the chorus to give it a slightly different feel, but the bass, again throughout the album, is about letting the other instruments lead. There's a little more movement in that bottom end on this one, though, that I do enjoy. Stan's drums are recorded pretty flat again, and you can really hear that on the kick drum, especially in the intro. He's playing 16s on the hats in the intro and that drops to 8s in the verse and then to a fairly standard 4-8 alternating pattern in the chorus. And in the chorus and into the bridge we get a little syncopation from the snare and kick which provides a little bit of relief from the straight ahead rock and roll of the verses. And that also continues into the bridge where it's a little bit more offbeat and a little bit more syncopated. So again, just breaking up that sort of steady one, two, three, four 2, 3, of, of the verses. The attack on the guitars is super old school and just feels like a guitar and an amp. In a room with no effects, just straight tube amp distortion. Mike's playing is great in the solo, panned left and right in a call and response pattern and really very, very heavily leaning into those Chuck Berry licks. This is the first song on the album where we hear Mike really rip into a solo and lay down some tasty soul guitar, which again is very Berry. We get a nice, tight middle eight, which builds up into that crunchy, upbeat solo. and The vocals in the bridge are also layered and the harmony and vocal fills punch in and out at a somewhat unpredictable manner that gives the whole thing a little more edge. Vocally, Tom's delivery is really punchy and clipped. It's that real staccato delivery that works so well with the overall feel of the song, and that Tom utilizes now and again when he's going for that bad boy vibe. He definitely has that angry young man energy on this record, and never more so than on this track. I do love the lyrics in this one, as simple as they are. They're really nostalgic for a time when you were young, had no responsibilities, and just wanted to party. It dovetails well in that regard with the last track, The Wild One, but where that track is wistful and slightly melancholic, this track is unashamedly celebrating youthful energy and attitude. I picked up the telephone, told the boss he was a jerk. I think most people have been able to get on board with that sentiment at different times in their lives. The second verse then has the protagonist's girlfriend in defiant mood also. Don't need her, don't need school, you don't like your daddy, and you don't like rules. A sentiment echoed through the ages in rock and roll. Just ask Alice Cooper. The opening line, Some Friends of Mine and Me, has a harmony, and then the rest of that first verse is just a single vocal track. The second verse then kind of inverts that formula and has a full harmony all the way through until the last line. I do enjoy little details like that in songs, as they disrupt the predictability of an otherwise fairly straightforward arrangement, and it's a neat touch and one I'll definitely have to steal sometime. The song has one of my very favourite opening lines from Tom. Again, that really evocative sense of staying up way too late, hanging out with your hoodlum friends. And For part of my teenage years, I lived on a housing estate where most of the people were pretty working class and didn't have much money. It definitely wasn't a rough neighbourhood, but late at night when the pubs started emptying out and you'd have a few drunks wandering home, when you're younger, if you're out with your friends, there was a, definitely a, a slight frisson of danger in the air that could be exhilarating. And that opening line really harkens back to those days of just hanging out late, looking for some mild trouble to get into. Tom commented once on on why the band no longer played the song live, and said, That song's really naive. It's something I couldn't sing now. It's a kid singing that song. And you understand completely where he's coming from when he says that, but I could also imagine that being a killer extended jam song, you know, with with Scott Thurston and Ben Monttench wailing through a piano, harmonica, battle solo. I think that would be pretty cool. (laughs) Okay, once again, it's time for some petty trivia. Last week, I asked you which artist released the Grammy Award-winning album The Missing Years in 1991, which saw Howie Epstein, in his debut as a producer, and most of the Heartbreakers play on the record. The answer is the wonderful John Prine, another exceptional American songwriter. If you haven't heard the album, go check it out and listen for Tom's harmonies in the chorus of the lead track, Picture Show. I'll actually throw a link to the video, which Tom also appears in, in the episode details. For today, on 1993's Greatest Hits album, the last track, Something in the Air, is a cover of which band's number one single from their 1969 album, Hollywood Dream. Anything That's Rock and Roll is a fun sort of throwaway song that gets your toe tapping and your head bobbing. It has no deep message and does the job it sets out to do. I imagine it must have been a fantastic opener in the early days, and the live version from the Heartbreakers' legendary performance at the Paradise Club in Boston on July 16, 1978 is probably the definitive version. It's definitely my favourite version. Mike really rocks up the opening, and is channelling pure Chuck Berry the whole way through. It's way, way faster also. 145 beats per minute compared to around 125 BPM on the record but also comes in at three and a half minutes, rather than two and a half. In this version, we also get some banging Benmont boogie-woogie piano that really makes the whole thing just hot. And it's curious that Benmont doesn't play on the studio version of the song, as it's a track that could definitely stand a rip-rowing Little Richard-esque piano part. The guitar solos are also extended, and the song has a very cool ending. It amps up the rock and roll to 11. I'll add a link to this version into the episode notes also, and you should give it a blast once you've finished listening. Warren Zanes, in the biography Petty, notes, Cordell, Denny Cordell, had shut them away in the shelter studio. He'd taught them just enough to leave them alone in there. This freedom to experiment and not be constrained much by expectation is probably why the first album sounds so eclectic. As varied and experimental as the album is in some ways, it's grounded by songs like Anything That's Rock and Roll, which reveal exactly what the band's roots are. Okay, side A is done. Time to grab another beer, flip the vinyl, and get ready for next week's song. Don't forget to go back and listen to today's song again and enjoy some good old-fashioned rock and roll. It's now time for me to score this one. I think that honestly, live, it's a much better track, and I'd love to have seen the band open with this in the late 70s, especially at that Boston gig. The album version cuts pretty short, and without any ben Mont in the mix, I do have to dock it a couple of marks I might otherwise have given it, as I think that would have stepped it up a couple of notches. Anything that's rock and roll, like the album opener, gets a solid 5 out of 10 from me. A perfectly serviceable foot-tapper, but not the most interesting song on the album overall. Thanks as always for spending time with me, and feel free to comment if you have anything to say about the episode, my rating of the song, the podcast in general, or Tom in general. And next week we'll be talking about the opening track from side 2 of the album, Stranger in the Night. Click on your subscribe button to make sure you don't miss any episodes of the podcast and do leave a rating if you like. Remember to follow me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at The Tom Petty Project or at Tom Petty Project on Twitter and let me know how I'm doing. Don't forget to join the Tom Petty Nation Facebook group. Check out Tom Petty Radio on Sirius XM and if there's a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers tribute band playing near you soon, go support them. It's been really tough times for musicians lately so they do need a little love. Also, don't forget to check out that rip-roaring live version of today's song that I've linked in the episode notes. A quick reminder, too, that the Tom Petty Project is not affiliated in any way with the Tom Petty estate, and I'd also like to acknowledge uh, Dylan's CVs, or Seveys, I'm not too sure of the pronunciation, a 2014 article in Something Else Reviews, which I've linked in the episode notes, as I got a few ideas from that article, and I would like to credit Dylan. Until we meet again next week, send a friend a Tom Petty song that they haven't heard. Maybe it will turn them onto music they didn't know they'd love. I'll leave you today with a quote from our hero. Tom always had a very grounded sense of what he was doing, and I think that's summed up nicely in these words You know, music isn't really supposed to be perfect. It's all about people relating to each other and doing something that's really from the soul. Take care of yourselves. I'll speak to you next week. Bye bye.